everyone, this is Jason Probst, that guy in Hutch, and you're listening to That Podcast in Hutch. Today I have with me Joanne Rivera, and she is the Director of Nursing in the Intensive Care Unit at Hutchison Regional Medical Center. Thanks for being with me today. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. So I, I wanted to have you on today. Uh, I thought it would be interesting to have a conversation about uh, COVID, but from the perspective of someone in nursing and you kind of in a management role over the nurses in the ICU unit at Hutch Regional. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Okay. And before we get to that, a um, couple of things I, I kind of want to go through and, and just to kind of create the context for this. COVID hit in Kansas sometime in March of 2020 uh, and in the U.S. That, that was when we first saw some of the first confirmed cases and realized that, that COVID, which had been kind of spreading in, in other parts of the world, had come to the United States and to Kansas. Since that time, in Reno County, there's been 10,576 cases with 168 deaths. And in the state of Kansas, there's been 435,933 cases with 6,422 deaths. And during that time, there, there have been ebbs and flows in the, in the case rates, and we've had several significant spikes that really strained resources and staff in our medical community. And, and where we're at now, it seems quite a bit better than it was, say, fall of 2020. Uh, but... Talk to me a little bit about, I guess, those early days and what, what you saw and what your your staff saw in those early days when COVID was first uh, coming to our area. Yeah. I think initially, you know, we had no really idea of what was going to happen. You know, we planned for a surge, and I think that was important for us to, as a facility, to have that plan in place as we've seen each coast start to spike and you know what was that what was happening to their resources you know the ppe you know that question was uh, the top concern for our staff of course cuz like we knew eventually it was going to come um and as a manager or director of a unit or a leader within our organization my first concern is how how do i support the staff and you know how am i going to tell them especially in an icu 100% you're going to take care of covid patients there is no question about it you know how am i going to prepare them to care for these types of patients that it's extremely contagious is what we knew at the time and that um, it was airborne, it was droplet, you could touch something. I mean, everything that we do with patients involves, you know, contact. You know, you're, you're helping them get up and down, you're helping them turn, um, you're giving them medications, um, all those things that we do daily that we don't think about, you know, any kind of issue with, that we don't have any issue with. Um, for me, it was preparing them for that, you know, long haul of, what's going to happen when we have to care for these patients. And for me, it was, I felt like I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse for over 30 years. So, you know, I know what it's like to take care of patients. I felt like I had to go first. You know, I had to be the first one to, to be with them in the rooms. Uh, my manager, Tammy Menace and I, you know, we kind of came up with a plan and said, you know, we're going to do it. You know, we know the science behind using PPE. We've taken care of patients in respiratory isolation before. So that's kind of how we progressed. And 
Um, obviously, it was really hard on the staff initially because that fear of what happens if I get sick and I take it home to my family. I have children, you know, I have a husband, I have grandparents, I have parents, you know, so that was our initial thought. Well, and in those early days, there there was just, we were learning, right? There was a lot we didn't know. Yes. You, you probably have some standard practices for mitigating the spread of, of uh, illness in a hospital. I mean, everyone knows you do, we've seen, you know, the scrubs and the, and yeah. the mask and everything before. Um, but this was on a different scale and it was something that we were learning more about every day. So how did that, when you come up with a plan, how do you, how do you kind of have a, a plan for something that you don't <laughs> know and plan for something that the, the information seems to be evolving all the time? Yes, it changed daily, and sometimes it felt like hourly. <laughs> um, you become flexible, and you listen to the science behind what you're doing. I mean, we know in healthcare how respiratory viruses are spread, so that we have that basic understanding. You know, SARS was huge at one point. Um, we went through that kind of it was more of an epidemic, not a pandemic, mm-hmm. but you know, we learned a lot about isolation at that point. So I think we had a good foundation. Yeah. So you, so based on other viruses that we've, yeah. we've treated over time, we know that there are some standard things you can do, yeah. uh, to, to kind of mitigate that. But for your staff, there was a real concern about PPE because you were starting, I imagine to see shortages in other parts of the country. And there was a lot of competition for that. Um, how, how did, how did you handle that as a, as a manager, uh, trying to make sure that we had enough resources we needed for when this wave finally came to to our part of the, the country. Yeah, that was part of kind of our surge plan. Uh, the supply chain started looking at our usage, you know, historically, obviously that wasn't going to help us because this is going to be a different type of situation, but started to look at what would it look like if we had, you know, a unit full of COVID patients and how much PPE would we utilize at that point. And I think our executive team did a really great job of, um, you know, trying to get extra PPE in and preparing for that surge that was, and we did, I mean, we did need all that PPE that we um, held, but, you know, I think that the staff did have concerns about having enough and we did some um, processes that we typically don't do. Um, you know, sterilizing, re-sterilizing N95s Mm -hmm. within our surgical service, kind of uh, what they call a um, autoclave. Yeah, you know, utilizing the autoclave for um, re-sterilization of our N95 mask, which is kind of a process that we learned from other um, organizations on the East Coast. So just being creative. And like you said, the information changed daily. And so, you know, kind of keeping your staff informed, which, you know, was really hard because there's a lot of misinformation out there. So trying to listen to every um, COVID update that we could, and we started doing uh, weekly meetings within our organization involving the community. I think those were really important to keep us leaders up to date. So we make sure we communicate the right information to our staff. And part of that was to kind of know what might be coming, right? So that you'd You'd, you'd get an assessment. I remember some of those meetings and mm-hmm. we'd get an assessment of what the case rate was, what we were seeing, where the clusters were emerging from and, and what the status of PPE was in the state and, and whether we were, 
looking at a possibility of, of running low on that or having to stretch resources even, even more. Yes. Uh, yeah. What was the highest or the most stressful time through all of this uh, locally? I'm trying to think maybe just after like the holidays, you know, where we started seeing a real spike last winter, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, um, about that time we were opening up more rooms for COVID. We were opening up a, you know, we started as four rooms in the ICU where that were kind of uh, isolated away from the other patients. That's where we started our COVID unit and we quickly, outgrew that, you know, and then you had patients that didn't need to be in the ICU, you know, they were sick and they had COVID. Um, so, you know, opening up some medical ICUs was important. You know, our pulmonary unit was instrumental in doing that, um, and caring for those type of patients, the devices that they use, the type of oxygen they're very familiar with. So it made a lot of sense. To move over to the yeah the to move pulmonary. into the medical start opening just a medical ICU which we did up on the fourth floor okay yeah so during that time especially when there were some real sp- spikes in the number of cases and the and the and the strains on the capacity at the hospital um, talk to me a little bit about kind of the experience your experience and the experience of some of the nursing staff uh, like the demands on their time and the number of hours they had to work. Um, I mean, there was a lot of instances or a lot of reporting about how nurses were working, you know, not necessarily locally, but around the country about nurses working, you know, day after day after day after day, because they just needed to be there. And, and, and the demand for, for what they provided for patients was critical. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of them, you know, we just put, they put in a lot of extra hours where there were gaps, they filled in the gaps. I think it's just long days. We work 12 hour shifts, you know, normally. So, you know, you kind of extend that a little bit where, you know, sometimes they're there later than they usually are just because of the fact that, you know, the workflow had to change quite a bit. You know, you don't think about how many times you take something on and like when you go into a room, you know, and this is normal with isolation patients, you have to be really intentional about what you're taking in there, what you're going in there for to make sure that you're um, not going in and out as often. So it takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of extra time. Um, You think, oh, throw on a gown, a mask and, you know, a shield and it doesn't take that long, but it, it is when you're making sure that you're giving medications and, Um, you're making sure that they're getting their meals and they're, um, you know, you go in and give breathing treatments and all those things that takes a lot of extra time, um, to go in and do those things. Well, you and I were talking a little bit before about, about this kind of extra layer of thought that goes into everything when you're, you're dealing with this. And as I was listening to you, consider that, you know, like every contact you have with that patient is putting equipment on, going in, doing the one thing, coming back out, taking the equipment off. If the patient needs something else an hour later, it's repeating that process all over again. Yeah. Right. And that happens over and over throughout the day. Yep. So we came up with processes to help us. You know, I think we learned a lot through COVID. Um, The IV pumps, you know, uh, the simple thing of bending your arm, which you normally do every time you either reach for the call light or if you're reaching for your cup, you're going to bend your elbow, um, your IV pump will alarm. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we started doing is putting the IV pumps outside of the room 
to eliminate that extra step of going in every time you have to reset the IV pump, you know, which is can be really frequent. So um, those are the one the one of the things that we did um, having buddies, you know, hey, can you get me this? Can you get me that? You know, kind of bringing things to the room as opposed to that nurse coming out and getting things. So um, changing some of our processes helped with some of that. Were you, so was some of that based on feedback from what you're hearing from the nurses in the, in the isolation areas that they're saying, Hey, this is, or we're seeing that we're going in and out and this changing this process that we normally do would make this easier. Yeah. Some of it was from the nursing staff that, you know, just their experience, but a lot of it too, we learned from other facilities, you know, um, seeing what they were doing as they went through their peak, um, you know, we got a lot of ideas from them. <laughs> so it, it was good. Yeah. It really, it's uh, sometimes amazing to me how in, uh, quickly people can adjust in a, in a crisis yeah. like that when, and, and it sounds like that's, uh, yeah. you experienced that yeah. here too. Yep. They're very inventive. Um, they say nurses are, um, if you want something done, they'll figure out how to get it done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, talk to me a little bit too, aside from the, the hours that, that people worked, like that has to be physically demanding. I mean, this is a job where you're on your feet all day, you're moving all day, you're tracking different patients throughout the day, uh, physically and, and also mentally that has to be exhausting, right? Yeah. I think, you know, just the toll on the staff, you know, as we started to lose patients, I think that was one of the hardest things. You know, in an ICU, you you typically do a lot of, you know, transitioning into comfort, what we call comfort care, which is, you know, we've utilized every um, medical system or device that we can to help this person uh, in the treatment. But, you know, we kind of reach a point where sometimes, you know, it's people are going to pass and you help them get there. So we're, we're accustomed to doing that in the ICU. So, but at this rate was just very, very emotionally distressing to the staff. And it is very physical. I always say it's a young person sport. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is really, you know, and I started as a really young nurse and I, you know, I thought, Oh yeah, I'll never get tired of doing this or my back will never hurt. My feet will never hurt. Well, you know, you kind of get to that point <laughs> where it is very physical. Um, but the emotional toll, I think, is what seeing the staff go through was the hardest. You know, we talked a little bit about um, a lot of the families couldn't be there. So that nurse was a last person, you know, holding their hand or comforting them as they passed away. You know, that was, that was the hard part on the staff, you know. And we we're used to having family there and having them, you know, you know, say goodbye. And I think still to this day, that is the hardest thing on our nurses is family not being there. You know, we still have some limitations, but, you know, as we transition to where they're just going into comfort care, we do let families in. And mm -hmm. I know there's lots of facilities that are very, very strict when it comes to that. And, you know, and I understand why, um, but, you know, still we have to keep the humanness and that still within you know, our organization and make sure that we're doing the right thing for our patients and the community, you know? Yeah. yeah. So how do you, I mean, you, ha you have that and you have nurses who are dealing with this extra layer of, of emotional strain in, in that they're serving as, um, well, they're watching, they're watching people die yeah. and they're watching people die in a very 
um, very painful way and without family around. Um, So when that's happening at such a rate that we've seen in the last couple of years, um, that, that emotional toll on the nurses, how do you, how you in your position kind of help the nurses deal with that? Yeah. I think it's just a lot of helping them identify, um, that those stressors, because it doesn't always come across as like emotional. Sometimes it's, you know, maybe they're not sleeping well, maybe they're not eating like they should, you know, they're not getting the rest. Um, they're having problems outside of work, you know, trying to help them identify those things. Um, we have a really great program at the hospital, the employee assistance program, which, you know, we always offer to our staff, you know, to make sure that they are dealing with those emotional type things going on in their lives, you know, and, um, not only the stress at work, um, kids couldn't go to school. A lot of them were homeschooling, you know, the childcare, you know, all those things that kind of add another layer, like you said, of kind of, um, stress to them. That's something I, I mean, we've heard a lot about this. Uh, we all know that schools kind of had to adapt last in the last year, 18 months. Um, and, and we've thought, I've thought about that in terms of more broadly in the, in the workplace and, and, and family life, but for nurses who really have to be there, you know, having kids that maybe aren't able to go to school and then maybe a spouse that works outside the home also, that would, that would be incredibly stressful for them. So aside from what's going on inside the hospital, they also have the pandemic uh, reaching into their personal life and their yeah. family life and affecting that. And they're, they're trying to manage both of those, those things that, that must've been incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, childcare was huge and continues to be, you know, a huge concern for nurses. The majority of the nurses are female. I mean, mothers, um, we have a good amount of male nurses too, but, um, you know, a lot of the nurses, their spouse maybe was off work during that time, you know, so it kind of offsets some of that while the kids were home. But, um, there's some single mothers, you know, it was really hard and difficult, you know, and for a a director, you know, I think being very flexible and understanding, you know, what they needed at that time, I think was what was the most challenging, you know, we, we had to make sure we had enough staff, but making sure we were taking care of them too, and allowing them to be home with their children. So being flexible with schedules, you know, that was one thing that we tried to do too. Yeah. So you had to adapt and innovate as well as from a managerial point of view. Right. Yeah. So talking about families, um, one of the things that, that it, that it also changed was the, there's, during COVID, especially, well, probably still today, but certainly during those early days, it wasn't just getting off of work and going home because there was a real fear that if you worked with COVID patients all day, uh, you might end up taking this home to your family. Um, and and I, I know we had talked a little bit yeah. about some of the practices that were put in place to try to uh, help the nurses manage that. But can you talk a little bit about some of the additional things that nurses had to, to deal with mm-hmm. even before they could go home when they're done working and in that period between when they're off of work and, and when they get home. Yep. A lot of them, you know, uh, they would say, you know, what can I do to mitigate the risk of taking it home? You know, obviously, you know, your uniform, your, you know, your body touching things. So, um, a lot of them would just shower at work, you know, take everything, put their 
clothes in a bag and then just immediately take it to the laundry. Some of them, you know, had laundry out in their, as they went into their garage, you know, and they would just take everything off as they went in and uh, throw it in the laundry and then go shower. You know, I think as we learn more about it, obviously, you know, that was less uh, the case, but initially, you know, to be safe, you know, you definitely did not want to take it home to your grandparents, your parents and your children. So, or your spouse. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that, that was a real, like you said, early on, there was so much we didn't know when yeah. we were learning. And, uh, I remember those stories about, you know, people taking their shoes off at the door oh, and yeah. taking take their yeah. clothes off. They were so worried about, uh, bringing that in and, yeah. and, uh, to think that that's another layer of thought, you know, yeah. that you have to think of, I have to do these things before I can even walk in my door yeah. is pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah. Well, ner- let's talk just in general about nursing. You said you've been uh, in nursing for over 30 years. Yeah. What, early on, what drew you to nursing? What is yeah. it about nursing that pulls so many people to it? Yeah. I think personally for me, my mom was a nurse aide. Um, in a small community in Northwest Kansas in Goodland, where I grew up, um, she was a lifelong nurse aide. So she would come home and have such great stories of, you know, uh, what she did for people and how rewarding that was to her. And, you know, in a small community, you do everything. Mm -hmm. She helped deliver babies and she helped people pass away. So like everybody in the community would say, you know, they would know her and she goes, oh, I know them. I helped deliver them. (laughs) You know, so it was kind of, um, that initially that's what drew me to nursing. I think, you know, you kind of are a nurturer mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of what makes you a good nurse. You really care about people and community. Um, my dad was a policeman, a chief of police in our community for a period of time. And so he knew a lot of people in the community. So, uh, service was something that I knew because my parents role modeled that. So I think for nursing, it was, I just seen my mom's joy. So I think that's why I wanted to be a nurse. So, so you kind of grew up with that as a normal part of your life. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe, and sounds like maybe developed the idea that you wanted to, you know, help in your adult life, wanted to help people and, yeah. and do what you could to, yeah. to improve your community through, through medicine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As we were talking earlier too, though, that you talk about, you know, your mom knew everyone and mm-hmm. she's like, Oh, I deliver this baby. But, but in in a town the size of Hutch, and in this situation, that it all that's also a little bit of a drawback, right? Because there were some personal connections with people that you were treating. You, there are people you know that you're watching in in a terrible yeah. pain uh, throughout all of this because it is a small enough community. It's not just some person; it's somebody you might know or somebody you might have a connection to, right? Yeah, and I think you know, um, as the bigger cities went through you know, started having the spikes of COVID and they talked about the death. Um, We started to think about what's different in, you know, our rural community, you know, it's smaller, you know, yeah, we're not going to have the numbers that we have there. I think the difference is that you're going to probably 99.9% know somebody or care for somebody that, you know, maybe closely. So, you know, even maybe work within your organization is the case for us. You know, we had somebody that worked in our facility that passed away in our ICU. And, you know, that was pretty distressful to the staff, you know, cause you see them one day, you see them up and around caring for patients and, you know, the next day you're helping them pass yeah. away. So, yeah. You know. And that, 
how do you talk to the staff about that? I mean, when, when that's somebody they worked with, yeah. that's, that, that is, it must be jarring. Yeah. And I think nurses tend to think, well, this is part of my job. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to get through it. I'm going to push through it. But um, really being careful about taking care of yourself and your mental health, um, making sure that you're starting to see the signs, just talking through it. Um, you know, we utilized Horizons a lot. They're part of our system. Mm -hmm. You know, they were gracious enough to come over and really give us some support, you know, for the staff during that time. So I think utilize every tool that you have. Yeah. yeah. So what is, so we've kind of gone through, we had the, the early part it comes in, we, you know, COVID-19 comes in, we're hearing lots of things, we're learning lots, lots of things. We don't know very much at that point, sort of evolves, we learn more, uh, we learn how to treat better. The, the early days, we didn't uh, have a lot of options, but as time went on, we, we learned how to treat patients better and with a higher success rate. Um, and, and, and then things kind of fell down. The case counts were relatively low. Yeah. And then we had a little bit of a spike again. Um, things are kind of falling off a little bit now, it seems again. So what's life like now uh, at Hutch Re Hutchison Regional Medical Center yeah. for the nursing staff? I think, you know, they become more accustomed to the protocols for caring for these type of patients. I mean, there's still those difficult times, you know, and I think with this second um, kind of wave, we've seen a lot of younger people. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a different kind of, you didn't have the volume, but we had a lot of younger people, like in their 40s, we've had some 27-year-olds, you know, people in that age range that, you know, didn't do well and passed away. You know, they had small children. I think um, seeing that part of it was another kind of uh, emotional toll on the staff. Um but they become more accustomed to the routines. And I know I had one of the, one of my male nurses, he goes, I know how to take care of these patients. You know, it's like day in and day out, the, the protocols are, are very, very similar and how you treat them and their disease process as they go through it is pretty similar, mm -hmm. you know, so you kind of get used to taking care of them and you get really good at it, which is, you know, good and bad. I mean, you don't want to have to do that, but you know, if you have to treat somebody, you want to know how to do it very efficiently. Yeah. The physicians have been great. We have a great pulmonary team. Um, they've all, you know, done their research. They've all, they're very um, innovative. I think when it comes to treatment options, you know, they look for the best and the newest and they push to get those protocols. So because of all of that experience, it sounds like maybe the processes are a little more solidified now and it maybe is streamlining patient care. Is that yeah. Fair to say. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, the medication protocols are pretty standardized now. You know, I think, you know, initially there was a lot of question about what would be the most effective. Um, but now we've kind of reached the point where, you know, I think we, we'll always find out something new. I sure. mean, obviously there's going to be new, new treatments. I think um, the monoclonal antibodies is something new where we didn't have a treatment option for those people that weren't Ready, they weren't going to be hospitalized, you know, they, if that outpatient treatment. Yeah. So, and I know the hospital did a quite a few of those before really they kind of picked up nationwide. Um, you know, we had a kind of a unit set up and we were giving a lot of those even before they were really kind of publicized. I'm glad you brought that up yeah. because I think that's something that maybe people locally don't realize yeah. how out front 
Hutchison Regional Medical Center was with the use of monoclonal antibodies. Uh, at one point, we were using a lot of, of what we had available in the state because yeah. we were so out front with that. Yeah, we were using the majority of the state supply. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, our pharmacists were really proactive in making sure that, you know, we had a supply. And once it started, you know, and physicians started ordering that, you know, we kind of picked up and we gave quite a few. Can you explain to people what that is exactly and how it works? So without getting too deep into the science, so basically it gives you those antibodies to fight the virus. So, you know, you've, you've been exposed and you have COVID and now that's just mitigating um, you from getting more sick, I yeah. would say. Yeah. And this is, this was particularly important pre-vaccine. Right. Uh, because there, that was, this was the only way uh, to, to boost your immune system. Yeah. Right? And to keep people up from you know, being hospitalized. And I think that's the goal is not to overstrain your healthcare system. Um, and that was preventing people from being hospitalized. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and, the, and the use of that was, uh, what, from what I heard just anecdotally was, uh, people would get that treatment, the, the antibody treatment and they would, it would shorten their recovery time yeah. and it would reduce their symptoms. And, yeah. and, and it did prevent a lot of people who otherwise might have ended up in the hospital from from having to, they were able to stay home right. and recover at home. Yeah. I kind of think of it like compare it to the Tamiflu. Like mm -hmm. if you've had the flu before and you've taken Tamiflu, it kind of decreased your uh length of illness and the and the symptoms. So kind of comparison the best I can. Yeah. That's that's, that's a good yeah. that's a good comparison yeah. though, because most people are familiar yeah. with Tamiflu, <laughs> I think. And certainly familiar yeah. with the flu. Yeah. So what do you see uh, for the next year? I mean, if, if you were to just kind of look and from a nursing perspective, what do you sort of expect the, the next year to unfold like? Yeah. Well, we talked a little bit like um, what COVID has done just to the nursing profession in general. You know, a lot of nurses that were near retirement just retired and um, some of them decided that maybe healthcare wasn't something for them. So, you know, We've lost a lot of nurses. Um, the travel agencies have been really um, spiking in their recruitment and hiring of staff. And, you know, I think that all comes down to financial, mm -hmm. um, what they can pay them financially, you know. So um, I think for nursing, it's starting to regroup and find that passion that nurses have and trying to bring them in and uh, recruit them back into, you know, why did you become a nurse? And, you know, can we create that environment of, um, growth and opportunity for our nurses? So I'm optimistic. I'm tend to be optimistic most of the time. So, um, there's lots of things that we still need to work on, but I think, you know, as a profession, I think we do a great job and, uh, we have service to our community. And I think if we can really attract the right people into those professions. And if you want to be a nurse, this is the time to be a nurse. You know, there's lots of programs out there and opportunities now um, to get people into healthcare, health, healthcare in general. I mean, yeah. I think is, is a great um, profession to serve your community. Have you seen anything quite this big or dramatic in your 30 years of nursing? No, this is the first I mean, we've had spikes of, you know, we've had the um, H1N1 mm -hmm. uh, flu kind of 
I wouldn't say it was a pandemic. It was more, you know, pretty widespread and people really were ill from that was the closest thing I've experienced to this, but nothing like this. And, you know, I hope this is a once in a lifetime type of experience, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to even compare it to anything else. No, I've never seen anything like this in healthcare. Yeah, the scale of this yeah. and, and, the, and how widespread it was, it, it's just beyond anything yeah. we've seen in, well, a hundred years. Yeah. Right? I mean, we haven't seen anything like this since the Spanish flu right. in 1918, uh, for which none of us were around for. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that there are, I mean, we've talked, touched on this a little bit, but do you think there are lessons that, are, that have been learned out of this or practices that will kind of change our approach to some elements of healthcare in the future? I think, you know, the use of telehealth, you know, we talked a little bit about that. I think definitely um, we were kind of on the uh, outbound, you know, on the outside doing that. We were starting to use it a little bit more uh, pre-COVID. And as we got into COVID, we definitely escalated that. It was a good opportunity to allow the patients to be assessed, thoroughly assessed without, you know, exposing extra people to COVID. Um, we did do a lot of, um, communication through iPad mm -hmm. and zoom with families. Um, I think that was one of our big projects that, uh, Bobby Starks, our educator worked on. Um, she petitioned a company to, uh, see if we could get some iPads from them and we got them free of cost. And then we did the training with the staff. So that was huge early on where, Nobody could go in any of the rooms um, to communicate with the families. You know, they would set up a Zoom um, call and make sure that they could talk to them and see them. So that was really important. That was one thing that we learned outside of just the technical things that we talked about, the IV pumps and, mm -hmm. you know, utilizing supplies appropriately, that kind of thing. So, so the, the, the Zoom or the iPad uh, thing, that allowed families to, to visit a, a patient in a room who couldn't, they couldn't come in because right. of the exposure yeah. risk. Yeah. But that might have applications later on for a family that's miles away. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we've used a little bit of like FaceTime, mm -hmm. but this was more, you know, um, kind of official, you know, setting up and making sure that we had multiple people, you could have multiple people on there. Um, we did a lot of, uh, window visits, you know, the design of our ICU kind of made it, um, easy for people to come to the windows. And I think we've seen a lot of pictures of that. And that was helpful too, because you could see them um, kind of interact with them over the phone. You could talk to them. It was just, you know, physically couldn't touch yeah. them. But we could you, see through the you window. You could see through the window. Yeah. That was nice with the ICU design, which we didn't know at that time when we designed it, but it worked out good for us. That's interesting though, because I remember when, when the ICU, the new ICU was designed, that was one of the things they wanted the patients to have access to a window because that's... Yeah kind of, uh, it's good for their health. Right. right. Yeah. It's amazing how just seeing the sunshine or seeing outside changes a patient's mood mm -hmm. or just kind of helps them know that it's daytime and not nighttime. You know, I worked in the hospital when we had, um, the ICU that had just a little tiny window uh -huh. and we had the other side that had a bigger window. We had a couple of different side areas. So you could definitely tell, like the night and day thing, like they couldn't tell when it was daytime and they couldn't tell when it was nighttime because they had no windows. So yeah, we have lots of windows. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. I was just yeah. thinking it's, a, it, it's one of those things where it, the ICU 
was redesigned with one thing in mind, but it just happened to work so well yeah. in this instance uh, yeah. for completely, I mean, for the same reasons that you have the window, but an application that never was considered at the time the ICU was yeah. built. Yep. Yeah. How amazing. Well, tell me if you can, uh, just anything or one thing or any number of things that you really hope the public or wishes the public understood or knew about nursing your staff uh, and kind of what's happened at Hutchison Regional for the last couple of years, just kind of like from the inside that you could share with people on the outside about this experience over the last 18 months or so. I mean, I think um, obviously nurses are, are hardworking. They're, they're at the bedside. They're that constant always that's there for your family, um, for your loved ones. So, you know, I think knowing that when you couldn't be there, they were there. You know, when you couldn't hold their hand, they were holding their hand for you. So I think just knowing that uh, nurses uh, just have a variety of roles, you know, they have to teach and educate people about their health and still they're that person that will set with them when they're scared. So I think just knowing that about nurses is important for the public to hear. Yeah, it sounds like there's there's a lot more to nursing yeah. than medicine, right? yeah. There's a lot to it. (laughs) Well, thank you for coming and sitting down with me today. And thank you for your work and your service to our community and for helping all the nurses in our community uh, provide such an invaluable service through such a critical time. Okay. Thank you so much for allowing me to talk about it. Thanks. Thank you. Uh I'd like to thank a few of the people who've helped make that podcast and Hutch possible. My son, Mitchell Probst, wrote and recorded the music for the show. Jenny Brigette put together some great graphics and promotional art. And Chris Acker helps overcome my mistakes to produce a great sounding product every episode. That podcast in Hutch is made possible through a collaboration between the Hutchison Arts and Culture Collective and Salt City Sound. They're working to bring resources and infrastructure to support art, music, and storytelling in our community. If you have an idea for your own podcast, reach out to them at podcasts at saltcitysound.net. If you enjoy that podcast and Hutch, be sure to subscribe and share it with all your friends. You can also help support this production by subscribing to thatguyandhutch.substack.com or by emailing me at thatguyandhutch at gmail.com to learn about sponsorship opportunities. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Salt City Sound Production.